As we say, good afternoon to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thanks. You've got a very interesting topic for us. Uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit about pet obesity. Yeah, we see it mm. sometimes, don't we? And it's Quite not a lot. We see it a lot in our, you know, in the owners, yeah. and we see it a lot in our pets as well. Not healthy. Also from Barker's Imbalance, Julie Tolliday is with us. Julie, you've got a special guest joining us. I have. I've got Suzanne Clothier, who's an American behaviourist, speaker, breeder, book writer, DVD maker, you name it, she's done it. We'll be talking to her in a matter of moments. And also you've got a special guest in the studio. Yes, I've got Charlie here again. <laughs> This time, uh, he's commonly known as Charles Woolley. Charles Woolley? <laughs> yes, because he looks very woolly. Let me put him to the test. Bark. No, he's no. too good for that. thought he'd let us know he was here by barking. You know? No, he does that in the backyard. Okay, so he's our guest in the studio, so you may hear him uh, during the hour. We'll see you how may. we go. And Julie Tolliday, this special guest is joining us right now on the phone. Yes, this special guest is called Suzanne Clothier. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm very excited to be talking to you. I think I'm a bit of a groupie. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's no way I can tell everybody everything that you do and have done. Uh, just a master of so many things. I'm going to give you your website, uh, which is www.suzanneclothier.com to read all about the books she's read, the training she's done, the advice she's given to hundreds of dogs and people all over the world. Uh, a really well, a uh, very successful book that Suzanne wrote is called ba- Brain, uh, Bones Would Rain from the Sky, Deepening Our Relationship with Dogs. And that's what Suzanne likes to do more than anything else. And her approach or her philosophy is a tag-named relationship-centred learning. Um, can you tell us why you called it that, Suzanne? Well, I call it relationship-centred training because I keep the relationship between the dog and the human absolutely at the centre of everything. So whether that's deciding what training methodology you might choose or which trainer's uh, philosophy you might go with or what equipment you might choose, it's all based on how will that affect the relationship between you and your dog. Which is, I think, from our point of view, m- way more important, and sometimes we've got to teach the humans about that. You've got six elemental questions that you encourage people to focus on when they're going to interact with a dog. Can you tell us a bit about those? I, be- I began to realize as an old trainer <laughs> that <laughs> it really came down to just six basic uh, questions that I was asking each animal um, And they're easily said, but like many simple truths in the world, they're not easily actually um, answered. So the six are, hello, um, how are you, meaning uh, who are you rather, meaning how does the animal perceive his world, how is this for you, that's about the moment, we'll discuss that in a little bit, Uh, may I, meaning do I actually have permission to interact with or do things with you, Uh, can you, which looks at the dog's physical and mental, emotional capacity to actually do what we're, we're hoping he might be able to do. And then finally, we ask the, the partnership question of can we, meaning what are you and I, dog, actually capable of achieving together as a team? Yeah, and look, we think that sounds so simple, but boy, is it powerful when we put it into practice. Um, I've had a look, and really you divide those two things into those into two groups, don't you? Mm-hmm. So your yeah, first... The yeah. first three are the ones that I think are the ones that are, are, are most uh, immediately practical for people to think about. Right. And then, the, and then your next three, which are the, the practical ones. So would there be a point where you would actually start on your six questions and actually not get all the way through because you would see stuff that you didn't want to engage with? Absolutely. So if we start with, you know, the simple question of hello, which is, is what we certainly do with any 
human as we're whether we're meeting them in an elevator or passing them on the street or even being introduced to them is that question of do I really want to interact with you mm. um, so when we ask the dog hello we're asking do you wish to interact with me and, and sometimes the dogs say no I'll have a good sniff of your shoes <laughs> yes but that's like me looking at your 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 clothing and saying hmm all right I've seen her yeah, exactly. <laughs> no need to have a chat. Exactly. Yeah. So these subtleties, if we can make people more aware of them, we're going to have more comfortable dogs in the world, aren't we? Sure. If we if we actually look at the dog and we think about that that big question of of who are you that we're asking to see how does this dog process his world, just the same way that you know you probably have friends who are very some of them are very sensitive to smells. Some are very visual. They notice a lot of details maybe in someone's jewelry or they're very good at artwork um, or they're very auditory, they're good mimics, they're, they're good singers. Um, these are the things that help us understand our dogs a bit because they're also working in visual, auditory, how, you know, how sounds affects them, mm. uh, kinesthetic, how touch affects them, including how much they like to be touched or how much they'll persist in it. So the dog who's busy you know, sure that if he just bangs against the door one more time, mm-hmm. <laughs> it will give, is different from a dog who finds it uncomfortable to do that. And then, of course, we have the olfactory, the dog, the dog's response to sense and how intensely engaged he gets with that. And it varies wildly from dog to dog how those, those sensory inputs play for the dog. Absolutely. And so when you get to the part that said, the question that says, um, how is this for you? A lot of the general, let's say public dog handlers, they don't know what the signs are when it's not good for the dog. Can you tell us some of those so that we're more aware? Sure. I think, I think that's the one question that I encourage anyone who really wants to do right by their dogs to keep that in mind. How is this for you? And I, I say it's a lot like being a crazy hostess who's completely concerned with that, you know, the house guest has exactly everything they could possibly want. So we would notice if we went, if I took you to the movies tonight, mm-hmm. which would be a bit of a, a go, but we could do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would notice that you were not, maybe your breathing changed a bit. You were uncomfortable with the, the, the theme of the movie. And so you sat a little stiffer in your chair or you looked away there would be changes in how you used your um, your facial expressions, mm-hmm. how your breathing would be, the muscle tension. If I noticed you were clenching the seat, you know, uh, armrest with your fingers and your breathing's being held and you don't want any popcorn, which you dearly love. Mm-hmm. And when I say, Julie, you know, are you all right? And you're like, uh, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, I think maybe not. So in the same way, our dogs can tell us, that in that moment, whatever's happening or whatever it was we just did or asked or hoped for um, is not sitting well with them, then our obligation, if we really care about them, if we care about the relationship, is as I would in a movie theater with you being upset, shall we leave? Will it help if I give you some chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) It can be as simple as, oh, well, if there's a cookie involved, we're good. Mm -hmm. Or it can be, no, I'm not really comfortable here. There's a very smelly, strange man sitting next to me. And um, I, I don't want to be here. I, I feel pressured. I don't like being mm. in the dark. It could be anything that's yes. happening in that movie theater could make you uncomfortable. So that knowledge of being able to read our dogs better, if I say to you, you know, what's one way that that helps a trainer? So the trainer can absolutely decide because dogs, just like us, can go two ways, right? Mm. They can become overwhelmed 
and begin to be um, inhibited, and they can start to shut down. They can even become fearful or anxious. Or, like us, they can get too excited and a little too wound up. As I say, it's too much birthday. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And then equally on either side of the scale, they can find it difficult to learn. And, of course, the animal is becoming afraid. It becomes really unpleasant for them. Yes. Um, So the training choices we then have are how do we bring you back into balance so that your breathing can regulate, your, your head and eye movements become normalized, Everyone knows what their dog looks like when he's happy and relaxed. Yes, definitely. So the goal is to notice Mm. when he shifts out of being happy and relaxed, um, either into very excited, and most of us are familiar with that, whether we toss a bowl or we have a a bicky in our hand or we're going to go for a walk, um, their eyes just light up and they get a bit mad and dashing Mm. around, their movements get quicker. But sometimes we miss the subtle things that say, I'm not... I'm not really okay with this. And those are the dogs that get quiet and still. So they're not protesting and they're not winging around and bouncing off the walls, but they're also not enjoying. They're simply enduring. So sometimes we accidentally push our dogs. And they say, oh, yeah, he's right. And he's not. He's not at all. He's just simply enduring it. So taking the time to study your dog in various uh, settings to say, oh, no, I think he's quite good here. Or... Hmm, I never noticed that, but when neighbor Bob comes over, you know, Buster gets awfully quiet and just lays in the corner watching him. He doesn't interact as usual. Um, so that we can we can decide what we're going to do. Get the dog out of the situation, arm, arm neighbor Bob with some cookies. That could mm-hmm. change how the dog feels. Uh, give the dog out into the, into the garden so he doesn't have to deal with it. Get some training. Or if it's really severe, you know, talk to your, your veterinarian for a referral. Yes. Look, Suzanne, I'd lo- I wish we could talk to you for two hours because I'm sure that we couldn't keep everybody interested. <laughs> but as I warned you, there's a little bit of a wind-up happening here. So thank you so much for talking to us and giving us your very, very common sense and humane approach to dogs. Thanks, Suzanne. And our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle, is here. Your topic today, obesity in animals. How frequently do we see it? It's pretty rampant, actually. So it's estimated that about 40% of dogs, and I would say my experience would be about similar numbers in cats, are overweight or obese. Um, and it's just, you know, sort of like us. And if it's if it's not good for us, it's not good for them. So for all the same uh, sort of reasons, arthritis and early onset of disease, um, shortened lifespan overall. So um, I don't want to go into that stuff too much. But I guess how do we identify? Because clients, my clients, frequently come and say, we don't think he's too fat, is he? Is his weight okay? And I often often have to say, actually, he, he's pretty heavy. He's, he's a lot you know, heavier than you think he is. Um, and I think it's hard for clients to, or for owners to recognize what their, you know, whether their patient, their patient, their pet is uh, overweight or not. You see them every day and it's hard to sort of notice if they're, if they're gaining weight. So we're very conscious to always weigh our patients every time we see them. And we often are looking for that, um, you know, the creep of the kilos, how, how much, you know, they're gaining over the years. Um, but to give you some idea of how to, to monitor it in your own pet, so for dogs and cats, what we really want to be looking at is body condition score. So we don't want to be focusing just on what the scale says. We want to be having a feel of our pets and have a feel over their ribs. And can you easily feel the ribs? Are the ribs easily palpable? Or have they got a bit of padding there? You know, have they got a bit of skin motion? Have they got, um, you know, are they sort of flat across the chest? Also, if you take your hand and run it across the back, sort of from the back of the neck all the way down to the tail, we really should be able to feel 
feel the spine. So you don't want it to be sticking out, you know, to the point where it's like very prominent, but we should be able to see um, or feel the ridges of the spine all the way along the spine. So if you can't feel the ribs and if you can't see the spine, um, excuse me, feel the spine, that's a pretty good indication that probably Fido is carrying a bit too much weight. The other thing you can do is to look down on your dog or your cat. So particularly for dogs, if you look down on them, does the profile of their torso, is it a coffee table or is it a bit of an hourglass? So ideally we want them a little bit wider at the ribs, a little bit narrower um, just in front of the hips and then a bit wider again at the hips. And if you're looking at them in a side-on profile, we'd ideally like to see that their chest is nice and low and then they get a nice tuck um, up into the groin area. So they should be lowest point at the chest and then tucking up into the groin. So have a good look at your pet's and critically evaluate whether you think that they're a little bit heavier or, or not. We'll talk some more about that during the, the show. Now, 49216216, if you'd like to be part of Pet Chat, you will get through straight away. Joining us now from Hamilton, hello, Bob. Hello, mate, how are you? Hi, Bob, how are you doing? You've got a question about your whippet. Yeah, I've got a pet whippet, actually. She's still the last caller. <laughs> yeah. Brett the spot. Mate, what's she doing? Um, she's getting on a bit. I think she's 10 or 11. She was a rescue dog when we got a whippet at 10 years. Okay. Mate... She's barking at everyone that walks past, and it's getting very... Anything she can take to settle her down a bit or not? Um, there certainly are. It's not quite as simple as just, you know, giving her something and she'll settle down, but there certainly are um, things that we can use to help. Is she barking inside the house or inside the backyard or...? At the front door, actually. At, at the front door, yeah. Yeah, anyone that walks... Luckily, we've got a pretty sort of quiet street, but yep. anyone that walks past... Yep. Especially if they've got another dog, oh, she's not across the road, yeah. and oh, she barks them across the road, I let her out. It's the ultimate form of of positive reinforcement because in her mind, somebody's walking past, she barks at them. She's thinking, stay away. This is my property. This is my territory. She barks, 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 and they go on their way. And in her mind, she's thinking, win, totally accomplished (laughs) what I was trying to do there. Um, And it's similar to, uh, you know, mailboxes, people coming and putting things in your mailbox. You know, the postman comes up, the dog barks and barks and barks. The postman keeps going on his way and the dog thinks, pfft totally nailed it um so it is a it is a tricky sort of thing and if you're home and she's doing it we want to try to distract her from it okay so we don't want to let her practice that behavior if at all possible so if you see somebody coming um you know which you may not always but if you see somebody coming try to engage her in something else take her away from the situation or or occupy her in another fashion so she's not seeing it it's hard when you're not home for sure and certainly some of these dogs will have a real anxiety basis to it so they're not just saying you know this is my territory you stay away they're like they're worried that somebody's coming to invade and that they're going to lose territory and so in some situations there are some medications we can give them to settle them down but we don't usually want to just sedate them you know sedating a dog doesn't really teach it anything Um, it's definitely worthwhile having a discussion with your vet about it Uh, and quite often we will put these guys on some anti-anxiety medications and and put some things in place to try to help retrain the behavior it's a bit of a process but it may be worthwhile doing um and and certainly we know that anxiety gets worse in dogs as they get older so you know now that she's 10 11 years of age uh it might be that you're noticing it more now because she's a bit older and that anxiety is coming up a bit more so maybe go in have a chat with your vet about it and and make a plan to try to help her out julie when it comes to behavior and dogging in the house dog barking in the house anything you can add to help the main thing is try to stop the dog from practicing it so even if it's as simple as shut the front door 
um, leave a lead on the dog. Uh, and if the dog's barking at the front door, try to position yourself between the door and the dog and either direct them back or you can call them back or grab the lead and move them back. Then, like Kimberly says, give them something else to do. If you've got a little, like, repertoire of things to get your dog to do, sit, drop, stand, watch, touch, come here, you can do that. Watch is a great one because you're telling the dog to give you eye contact. Also, I say to people, if it's happening regularly every day, the same people are walking past the house at 3.30 in the afternoon, give the dog something to chew or a Kong that's been stuffed and frozen so, and, and even tether the dog back, a room back from the front door and let them be engaged with almost like desensitising themselves and engaging in something else. So that can really work too. And we've got joining us now from Singleton, Maureen, for our vet, Dr Kimberly Earle. Hello. Hello, Maureen. Oh, I have a little Maltese cross situ. Yes. I've had her since she's three months old. Okay. She's four. She hates the car. Right, she okay. She cries as soon as the motor starts. Okay. I've got some tablets from the vet, but I don't like giving to just going into town because it's only five miles. Mm-hmm. Because it stops her. We gave her some going down to Maitland from Singleton. Yep. And... She never barked until nine o'clock that night. Right, yeah, okay. And I don't like that, but yeah. is anything we can do? <laughs> so, I mean, in that situation, so, you know, she's already a, um, a mature age dog who has um, had that already sort of fairly well ingrained in her. And we often find that young puppies um, start not liking the car because a lot of young puppies start with um, car sickness. And then they just make that association with every time I go in the car, I start to feel sick. And this is pretty awful. So what I would start to do would be um, a process of desensitization. Um, and initially I would start to just get her used to being in the car without the car even turned on. So yes, take her I've out. Done that. Yeah. And, yes, is, and is she calm and quiet in the car? Yes, until the motor starts. Until the motor and starts. Then it's, Okay, so so we just need to work in really small little steps. So, Maureen, we need to get her happy in the car without the car turned on. Then we need to get her, so we just turn the car on, but don't do anything. So ideally, you know, work at her with a few minutes at a time. So turn the car on, turn the car off, and, and do that a few times. So she sort of goes, okay, this is all right. How, how is she when she's outside of the car, but the car is turned on, Maureen? Is it the noise of the car? No, no. No? Now, she'll follow my nephew mowing the lawn now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, before she didn't, but she will now. Okay. But, and I thought, oh, that's getting good. That's been going on yep. for over 12 months. But no, as soon as you put her in the car, mm-hmm. she starts as soon as... Yep. She doesn't want to get in the car. Sometimes she will jump in, okay. but other times she doesn't want to go. Yep. And um, she's in a harness with a lead on and everything that she yeah. has. And... Um, as soon as the motor starts, it's uh, yeah. uh, so, all the way. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I would just try to make the car a really enjoyable place for her, you know, so maybe start feeding her in the car. I know it sounds really silly, but, you know, take her out to the car dinner time, you know, offer her some food in the car, maybe even do it, you know, once she's comfortable with that, do it with the car turned on. We, we don't want her to associate the car always with being, you know, such a negative thing. And it's a really long process. Um 
you know, if there's a if there's a real anxiety to it, if if she's just you know making a bit of whingy noise. I mean, my dog thinks the car is pretty excited, exciting, and and a fantastic place, and she whinges the whole way, but mostly because she's so excited to see where we're going. Um, it is a little bit of a hard thing to sort of expect that she'll always be calm and quiet, but we definitely want to just work persistently in small little steps to try to make it more, more enjoyable and to try to break down those negative associations that she has. Julie? I've just got one little idea. It just came to me then. It sounds a bit out there. You can get a recording that's called Through a Dog's Ear and it's music to calm your dog in the car. Now, I know it sounds a bit like a hippie thing, but I was thinking if you put the dog in the car and the motor's not on and you play that music when the motor's not on, you may end up having a pairing of the car and the music is good that then you could add the turn on of the car if the music's there and the dog may float into that next state of acceptance. Hmm. So just think of that. You'd have to Google through a dog's ear, I think, and I'm sure you can buy those CDs online. Hmm. Yep. So, And I've had people say, no, it's great. It's stopped car sickness. The dogs have been able to lie down and listen to them. My little dog's a stress head in the car if he's got a harness on, but he now travels in a crate and he thinks it's great. He never complains. Our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl, is here from Barker's Imbalance, Julie Tolliday. And on the phone joining us from Buff Point, hello, Stephen, how are you? Good, how are you going, mate? Not Very too good. bad at all. What can we help you with, Stephen? I've got her um, early dog. She's about 16, approaching 16 and a half, yep. and uh, she's got dementia. Okay, yep. And, um, like, mostly at night time it's bad. Yep. So I was just wondering, uh, is there anything you can try to do to give her a bit of quality of life? Yeah, there certainly is. So she's, at night, is she, like, restless and, and vocalising, not, not sleeping very well? No, she'll sleep. She, um, you walk in the back door and she wants to walk out the front door. She still wants to walk. Mm-hmm. But at night time, she, uh, like, she does get a bit restless. She'll walk around in circles. Yeah. You walk past her, uh, she forgets you've gone past and she goes looking for you. Okay, yeah. So it, it is one of those hard things because we do definitely see dementia or in, in dogs we call it cognitive dysfunction. Um, and it's basically just, you know, a, a diminishment of, of the brain capacity, I guess, as they get older. Um, there's a really good prescription diet. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about brands and things like that. But if you go to your vet, um, there is a, um, a brain aging diet, which is one of the things that has um, actually been shown to, to make a big improvement in some of these guys. Certainly right. doing things like adding fish oils and stuff to the diet as an antioxidant may, may be of help. Um, and certainly what, what I'm mentioning earlier about anxiety being a big issue in older dogs as they get older. And so we do sometimes use anti-anxiety medications to help these guys, these old dogs, you know, sort of be calm. Now with any drug in an older dog, there is always some side effects. So we always have to weigh up the, um, the risk-benefit ratio and make sure that we're not doing it, you know, um, that's going to harm the dog, but it's certainly worthwhile going in and talking to your vet and looking at, you know, some sort of an anti-anxiety medication to see if um, that will just help her be a little bit more settled and restful for you. Right, um, So they? Yeah, so there's definitely a few things you can do, but it's it's not a cure. It, it will hopefully help take the edge off, but see how she goes. All right, good luck with that, Stephen. Thank you for giving us a call, and thank you to all our callers here on Pet Chat today. We do it every Wednesday from midday till 1 o'clock. Just before we go, only a matter of seconds left. Uh, we have been talking today about obesity in animals. Yeah. Any la- last, uh, lasting comments you'd, la- you'd yeah, like? Yeah, I think, I think I'd really dislike it if people had a really good critical look at their pets because it is hard. When you see them every single day, it's hard to sort of notice that creep. Take them into your vet and pop them on the scale. No vet is going to charge you, you know, to do that just to pop them on and see and ask what the weight was last time. Um, and then have a chat with one of 
of the nurses and say, what can I do to get my, you know, my pet's weight down? There's a lot of different techniques from changing diet, changing feeding behaviors and patterns. Um, and it can make a really significant difference in your pet's quality of life as they get into their older years. So thank you so much to our vet, Dr. You're Kimberly welcome. Earl from Barkers in Balance, Julie Tolliday. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here.